Hello and welcome to Access Chat. I'm delighted that we're joined today by Cathy West-Evans. Cathy is the Director of Business Relations for CSABR, which is the Council of State Administrators of Vocational Rehabilitation. And she is in charge of the National Employment Team. So um, in the UK, we, we might conflate this with what we would call occupational health and, and sort of workplace adjustments and accommodations to a certain extent. So welcome, Cathy. Uh, it's Great to have you on the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about CSABR? Definitely going to get that the wrong way around. Um, and, and, and the work that you do. Okay. So we're the membership organization. CSABR is the membership organization of the public vocational rehabilitation agencies in the U.S. So we have programs in every state, the territories, and the District of Columbia. And our focus is working with individuals with disabilities to put them on a career track or keep them working so that they can live independently. And really to work with, whether it's a young person um, looking at starting their career, um, moving out of high school into post-secondary education, apprenticeship, whatever fits for them, or it's someone who acquires a disability during their career understanding that disability happens at any time in that employment life cycle. So our team works directly with business because when we um, sat down with our business partners and said, how do we do this differently? Really asking them to be part of the solution. They shared a lot of really good information with us, like build trust, build relationships. And Deborah and I have talked a lot about the fact that they'll tell us we just don't know, we don't know, and we're afraid to ask. So how yes. do we work with <laughs> so how do we work with companies? Yes. Right, right, right. And and have them tell us what they need and understand their business so we can build a plan with them just like we're building a plan with the individual. And then bringing those two together, that dual customer approach. Yeah. Can I, I'm going to step in rudely here, Neil, because I know you were just about to say something. But one thing that I would just like to um, point out to the audience is that, um, as a reminder, I used to be on the board of USBLN, which is now called Disability N. I was on that board for six years. And what that organization does in the United States is it is a very powerful business-to-business -business organization in the States focused on disability inclusion and finally talking a lot more over the past few years about accessibility. Um, Francis West and I nagged him quite a bit about that, but um, the one thing that they did was they started working with what we call our VOC rehabilitation. And Kathy was a, one of our very major leaders in the United States on that. And one thing that we were finding was that our employers were confused with how to work with the, you know, our tax paying paid for uh, services that we had. And so a lot of the business built up around that, but it's really an issue that we see in all countries. We have resources, governmental paid resources, but often we don't see, it doesn't appear that they're being used in a way that is adding as much value to the employers or the businesses and to society. So I, and I, we all know these things. This is not just a U.S. problem, but um, I just wanted to point out that Kathy has years of that experience trying to bring those two groups together. And it's very difficult to do because 
None of our governments are perfect, certainly. But I just wanted to point that out, too, because um, Kathy now is playing a sort of a different role. But for many, many years, she played a really large leadership role in what we consider our voc rehab groups. So I just wanted to point that out for Kathy, too. (laughs) Go ahead, Neil. Thank you, Deborah. I I think that absolutely we see similar issues in, in every country. Uh, businesses don't really necessarily know how to engage with government on topics around disability, uh, rehabilitation, return to work, uh, the the infrastructures around that. Often, they're very, very complex. And to be frank, in certain instances, businesses take a a view, it's not that they're not disability confident. I think there are two issues, actually. One is the confidence around disability, and and some businesses don't know where to engage or how to engage and are afraid of disability. Others are actually relatively competent and confident, but the engagement with government is challenging and problematic and also cumbersome. And and it's that cumbersomeness, if you like, that, that then creates a financial challenge because actually what what ends up happening is the businesses end up taking the decision well it actually costs us less to do it ourselves and that sounds like great good for the taxpayer businesses are going to do it anyway but I suspect that what happens is that the the company is not getting the full benefit and the country is not getting the full benefit because The money's there for a purpose, and we want to employ more people with disabilities. So I think that that bridging role is super important. So can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you're doing to bridge between business and individuals and government to make it easier for people to go through that process? Absolutely. That's an excellent point, Neil. So like I said, businesses you know, will tell us we just don't know, we don't know when we're afraid to ask. I think the the key thing is getting to what the biggest barrier for individuals with disabilities is, and that's that attitudinal barrier, right? And businesses, when we ask them, we started by asking when we formed the National Employment Team or the NET, how do we do a better job with you? You understand the careers and we need that information to do a great career plan with the person but we're all in this together. We need the workforce. We need the talent. Let's look at this differently. And they said, oh, right. Yeah, you're government and you're here to help us. So (laughs) we all had a good laugh about that. Um, But they also didn't know where to find us. They they said, you know, you've got to build the relationship and, and you can't do that by leading with a lawsuit right? Am I saying anything that's surprising anyone? Um, You've got to do it by asking and really being a partner. And really, you know, what we're looking at is how do you build that relationship? How do you build the trust? Because accessibility in a company and really enabling talent really comes at a lot of different levels within an organization. So when you build the relationship, how do you build a strategy with the company where you can bring your resources to benefit them and you can open career opportunities for individuals because one of my favorite quotes is from Stephen Covey, 
your beginning with the end in mind. You can't really build a good plan with a person unless you understand what that career looks like. The second thing they told us is, we don't know where to find you. We have all these great acronyms. Remember I said we had 78 different agencies. They all have different names. So we formed, <laughs> we formed the national employment team as a collaborative. So a company anywhere in the country can reach out to the national employment team and we can bring our team of specialists around behind that company and build a plan across their footprint. So you're not reinventing the wheel in every location. You're building a plan and we can leverage the experts on our team, whether it's an assistive technology specialist, an OT, um, a person who is going to go in and look at the accessibility of a website or a facility. You know, accessibility has a lot of different meanings. How do we bring those resources to the business to help set them up for success while we're also setting individuals up to success? and then making the connection. Does that help, Neil? <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So, Katie, when you are, uh, your team is working with businesses, and um, I'm considering that sometimes organizations are, you know, are constantly, constantly changing. How do you make sure that when we engage with them, they are able to create a sustainable framework that lasts? Okay, it's not just hiring a person, fixing the path for that person, but how can you establish something for the years to come? That's a great question, Antonio. So when we're building that relationship, we build it at several levels within a company. So yes, people do leave and people leave on our team. And we have the responsibility to keep those relationships going. So really building that trust and building a strategy and coming to listen to the business, not coming in to tell them how to do it, but to listen to what their need is so that you're building those relationships at multiple levels. If someone changes, then you still have a relationship. So you are there really to support them across the spectrum of their business, not just their HR team. Did I answer I, your question, Antonio? <laughs> okay. no, uh, in, in part, yes, but mm -hmm. I, I would like to see how we can go further. Uh, are you supporting them to create a, fra a framework that can be, you know, uh, and policies that that uh, can, can can somehow some some organizations they have multiple locations. How we can you can, you are able to support them to to create company policy to stop to make this as part of their day-to-day -day activities? Yes, great question. So first we had to change our system, right? It's really a systems change from within and that's what we've driven through the national employment team and our membership organization. And in the last um, reauthorization of our le federal legislation, we included a whole section on working with business and we asked business to help us write that. So we engage them right at that core level. And building a plan with a company, every plan looks slightly different. But yes, we do have a framework that we approach it with. And we have built tools um, to help support it. So we have a, a talent acquisition portal, a centralized portal of candidates that are ready to go to work, where we can connect individuals 
with a company directly. Right now, we have about 32,000 candidates in that portal. And at any one time, we're streaming between 400 and 500,000 jobs. So we're building out strategies that can last no matter, you know, at one day we'll all have to retire, but how do we keep this moving and, and developing and continuing to grow? So uh, if you mentioned that you have a website that uh, include, that has people that are looking for a job. So if someone uh, with, if uh, a young graduate with disability, how can that person engage with you? And what can that what can that person expect from you? Okay, so as I said, our system is set up to serve individuals with disabilities at any time um, in their life, uh, with the goal of a career, employment, and continuing to move along that career path, path even though they may be impacted by disability. So on the the talent acquisition portal or TAP. We have not only brought our candidates on from our system and the public VR system at any one time is serving between 800,000 to a million people. So these people are at multiple different parts of their career journey. So not all ready to go to work, but the goal is as they're ready to go to work, bringing them into this platform. We've partnered with um, our veterans organization and brought them on as partners. We've partnered with our social security um, organization, brought them in as partners. We have community partners like the Helen Keller Center that Deborah's very familiar with, where we're bringing them on as partners so they bring their candidates in as well. So continuing to grow a partnership around the candidate side so that it is viable and sustainable for the business side as well as for the individuals. Kathy, uh, Kathy, uh, I have a, a, a question that I know it's a hard question that none of us know how to solve this, but what I see happening often in our voc rehab in the United States is that not the, um, the people that go to our voc rehab. Now I know this is shifting, but it, this was something that I'd talked a lot about in the, um, I'm in Virginia and, um, a lot of people with disabilities don't even realize that voc rehab is there to support us. And so I have a daughter, everyone knows I, a lot of people know I have a daughter with down syndrome. And so she, of course, I went right to our voc rehab to support her, but Part of the problem with finding us, using that term finding us, is that we don't even sometimes realize we're part of the community ourselves, but that's a whole another issue. But one thing that um, I don't know if it's still true, but I think uh, one thing our employers, our businesses uh, worry about is the, um, for example, the 32,000 people in there are they people that are qualified to do their work? And, and I'm saying that often with voc rehab, um, you don't have as you aren't servicing the people that are out there that really could use the services. And so, and another problem we have is I know that um, the valuable 500 is of course 
very, very committed to making sure that, you know, we help them include people with disabilities. But when they reached out early on to try to find some job banks, they were finding job banks were inaccessible. Um, There were very few resumes in there. And that was not something you didn't want to take that to the businesses and say, well, here you go. Here's an inaccessible website. And it's uh, there's 11 resumes in there. Hope that helps you, Neil. How many positions y'all have open <laughs> right now in Atos? So I I know that, you know, it, it, that's just part of being government and figuring it all out. But that is, it, do you see that some of that is changing so that the businesses can be more comfortable working with the resources that taxpayers are paying for? Um, are, are, are we shifting towards that? It feels like we are, but are we shifting towards that? We, we absolutely are. So with the talent acquisition portal, we built that system because like you, Deborah, we found that we would go out to job banks or posting services and they were not accessible. So we reached out and engaged a partner, a disability owned company and said, help us do this. And we, uh, so they've coded it. We co-own it as we need to make changes in accessibility. We can do it. And as we need to make shifts for uh, business need, we we do it like virtual career fairs. We host virtual career fairs. So, you know, just um, not too long ago, one of our business partners, uh, we set them up for a two-hour virtual career fair. And I think they hired on the spot 12 people on the spot. And then after that, they continued to hire people. But they got to know the candidates and their skill sets. And we set those candidates up for success by enabling them to talk about their skill sets and really focusing on their talent. So yes, Deborah, you're absolutely right. We need to make shifts. Um, I know our team, because we're the membership organization, we're talking a lot about visibility and what that means. How do we get the word out about the mission? What partners do we need to bring to the table um, to help grow that talent pool so that it is... um, beneficial to business customers, but also to those individuals? How do we help them create that vision of moving into a career and not graduating from high school onto disability benefits? Right. And also, how do we encourage society to want to identify that we are people with disabilities? I know that there are uh, different ways that we're looking at this, but um, once again, I think it's important for us to start identifying, but Americans have said to me, yeah, I hear you, Deborah, but you know, how are y'all going to guarantee I'm not going to be, you know, taken advantage of disenfranchised. And, and my reply back to him was, you know, you're Americans. I think at some point we're going to have to be brave and we're going to really have to step up and own our identities and be proud of our identities. But um, anyway, I know that Neil, you have a question. Let me turn it over to you. Uh, Okay. Well, actually, goes in nicely in terms of identity because off air we were talking before Kathy you said you were a troublemaker um and (laughs) uh, um, well you know good trouble I mean I'm fully with you on this um had a few scrapes myself um but I think that everybody has a backstory uh, and how they got into working in this field so it'd be really great to hear a little bit about your backstory and, and what motivated you to to, to work in the field of voc rehab and, and, and what's, why do you have this passion for getting disabled people into meaningful employment? 
didn't didn't start out of nothing, I assume. <laughs> right. Good question, Neil. Um, so as as I think I shared with you all earlier, I was born with a hearing loss. And um, when I went to when I started school, um, you know, when the teacher would move to write on the blackboard, the whiteboard, I would have to lean over to the student next to me and ask, what is she saying? So I was labeled as the behavior problem. They did not realize that I had a hearing loss. My mom was the one that picked that up. And she noticed that I was moving my lips when she was talking with me. So I had taught myself how to lip read her as best I could. It's not ever fully effective, but um, she was able to get me into um, an ENT um, and they were able to diagnose the hearing loss. And I've had surgery on both my ears and I still live with the impact of that. Um, so I did my undergraduate work in pediatric audiology. So I have a science degree in pediatric audiology because I knew I couldn't be the only student that was facing this. And during my time at the University of Washington, I met a woman who, um, who was a CODA, a child of a deaf adult. Um, her parents were both deaf and she was building the program um, here in the state of Washington. And I always attribute this to her. Um, Mildred Johnson, she said, why do we continue to think we have to fix people? Why can't we accept them where they're at? And for me, that really resonated. And it changed my career path into looking at vocational rehabilitation, looking at career building, meeting people where they're at and helping set them up for success instead of limiting them because they have a diagnosis and not making assumptions based on the diagnosis. So does that help, Neil? And oh, yeah, yes, I was labeled a behavior problem and I take great pride in that. I'm yeah. going to push for change because... I live with people with disabilities. They're my family members. They're, they, they are us. Yeah. And if anyone hasn't noticed, this is one of the communities you can join at any time in your life. So welcome to it and let's move forward together. Okay, so following on from that, I mean, one of the, the things that's sort of implicit in vocational rehab is it's, it's almost saying, right, well, you know, we're rehabilitating you. Well, that, that kind of implies that you've fallen out of the workforce. What about the people that have never been in the workforce in the first place? So are you also, what you, well, you said that you were already working with, with young people and, and, and young adults to you know, help them get into the workforce. So, so what are the sort of strategies to give people business relevant skills? Because that's one of the challenges actually that the businesses find it's not, provision of assistive tech is actually not really even sort of making websites accessible. People know how to do that. Some of the challenges start way earlier in the, the systemic challenges in education and the people with disabilities fall out of education and don't end up with the skills. And then no matter how many uh, accommodations or adjustments you make, if, if the person doesn't have the skills to do the job, they're not going to get it. So, so, What's um, what's your organization and, and and the U.S. government doing to to help with that skills building process so that we do have a pipeline of qualified individuals that we want to employ because we do want to employ them. Yes, yes. Um, that that again is a great question, and we do have a dedicated um, 
piece in our legislation that focuses on working with young people. So um, it's it's working with high schools. And I, and I think eventually we're going to push it down earlier, right? Because thinking about how do you set a young person up with the expectation to have a career, right? If, you know, if, um, if my mom wasn't as pushy as she was to find the answer, where would I be? How do we empower parents to really take a look at, yes, that's the diagnosis, but the per- my child can still have a career. How do we change that mindset and set young people up for success? And I think that's got to start before high school. And we're trying to kind of push down into that system to help them have that vision so that parents and students have that vision too. And yes, you're absolutely right, Neil. We've got to build this with business. And that's why we have built the partnerships with business. We're living in a changing labor market. We have opportunities like we've never seen, including Mm -hmm. business-based learning. So how do we start creating summer work experience for these students, right? That vision. Right. And, and it's it's a complicated, it's very complicated system because, uh, and I want to be fair, my daughter's 35 years old. So she has been out of uh, primary, she's been out of the education system. We, we go until um, we get support in the United States until you turn 22 years old, just to give everybody. So it's, it's been years, but I remember we started talking about this, Kathy, in middle school. And I actually was taken aback by the response that I was getting. And whenever, um, and, and when I got Sarah involved with the system, what happened was Sarah was already working because I had gone out and we had gotten her a little job and she was working at Wendy's in a marketable position. And she had done it all during the summer and all year. And, but she went to be assessed by the experts and the experts told us that Sarah was not capable of holding down a full-time job, a full-time marketable job. And I was like very confused because she was actually working full-time and had been, you know, even though she was going to school, I mean, not full-time, but so there's, there's still a lot of confusion and um, Antonio in the, just in the little chat window had put in a comment that he wants to talk about career paths and I remember when my daughter, we were go, we went to this one place to help us that the government helps us pay for, and they were teaching people to be woodworkers, and they were teaching people to do jobs that I don't think existed at the time, certainly. I mean, you could be a woodworker, but I'm not sure where you go. You can go build furniture. You know what I mean? So. There, there is so much of all of that in the system, and it causes such confusion. And so I'm just going to start on Antonio's question, which is from here, you know, how do we start addressing the career paths? And Antonio, I don't know if I can go on mute if you want to just finish that question and give it to Kathy all at once. And she's going to solve all of the problems. <laughs> no, 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 my point is very simple. How can people be received training and education that leads to a job not just instead of being trained and educated just to keep them busy being trained and educated so that's that's basically where i want to go because even in in i work in 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 social services in portugal a few years ago and sometimes the training that was being uh, given to some uh, groups of people they had a purpose of keeping them busy 
there was no future. So, uh, and that's something that all, always concerns me because we are creating expectations. People are spending time learning. People are, are really putting the effort, but then we disappoint them by not, uh, in, in that process, we end up disappointing them for their future. Great point, Antonio. And I think I mentioned early on one of my favorite quotes from Stephen Covey, begin with the end in mind. So engaging business to understand what viable careers look like and how you get on a career track is so important. And bringing that information back to young people, back to parents, back to educators. And at that, you know, working with young people, people with disabilities at any point in their life, Remembering to look at the talent, the skill sets, what do they value in work? What's important to them and how does it fit? So, you know, people work for different reasons. It's not just money. Understanding what they need and how it fits with the real world of work. Right, right. And I think you're right in that. This is something that we all have to learn how to do. I know, obviously, I'm a parent. I'm also an individual with lived experiences myself. But the reality is, we as parents, uh, we as mentors that are guiding young people, we can pay attention to what they're interested in. For example, my daughter loves technology. Uh, it's a gigantic fight we have with each other. She's actually sometimes better on technology than me, which has caused me some real nightmares. Yeah. But, um, and so I think that we can pay better attention to this cannot be all of your job to solve Kathy, but that also can't be brands like Atos, all of their job either. We have to solve this as society and there's all these moving parts. And so I, I often, I have so many parents that'll come to me and say, what do I do? And it's like, pay attention. What are they interested in? And by the way, introduce them to a bunch of stuff so they can see what they're interested in. Are they lending themselves to art? I mean, I think of Antonio's daughter. She's She doesn't have a disability, but she's into sports and she's into this. And so expose them to a lot of different things and pay attention. And when you see them sparking on something that they're intrigued by, to educate yourself to see what kind of jobs. I'm going to say something really sarcastic here in that I remember when my son, who is 34, was playing games all the time. And I'm like, okay, you got to get a real career. You can't get a job playing game. Oh, okay. Well, there are jobs like that. But I, at the time, I didn't know it. So it. I think also some of this is about um, society understanding this is not just Neil's job. Neil, you better hire us. This is not just your job, Kathy. This is not just my job as a parent, as a consultant. This is society has to really rethink these things and stop thinking that certain members of society are broken because some ridiculous stuff, you know? So I, I just wanted to give you that little pass because it is a major work in progress. So anyway, we appreciate yeah. you being here and doing all this. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're in this together and this is not just the U.S., as a world, we're, we're really taking a look at, you know, how do we look at the skill sets and the talents of a diverse workforce? I think in my career, and this year will be 45 years working on this mission. So um, with a DEI and A, I really think that the, the first time in my whole career that I've seen disability included as part of that discussion 
we're really, we're being invited to be at the table, have a voice at the table. We're seeing individuals with disabilities with the their employee resource groups or their business resource groups having a voice within a company, how do we empower them? How do we work together to change this perspective that disability is somehow, because there's a medical label, somehow someone can't? How do we look at what they can and how do we work together? Totally agree. And I think also, Kathy, how do we, once again, I love that you put that A in there, D-E-I-A. E-E-I-A, the A must be in there. So thank you for that. Yeah, Brad, but, but I'm, I'm going to challenge that because okay. I'm challenging companies to put the A before the I. Are you oh. truly inclusive if you're not accessible? Well, and, and that's that's <laughs> fine too. But I, I mean, because I think yeah. they're all important, but we weren't seeing anybody include the right. A in these discussions. We, I, I mean, I remember sitting, I love Sherm. Sherm is really working on this, but I remember a few years ago sitting in a workshop and they were saying, oh, what are all the diversity groups? And I just sat there and waited. I just wanted to see how long it was going to take. And they got through 15 of them and then they started to close it. And I'm like, really? And I raised my hand and I said, really? Disability? And everybody, oh, that's right. Anyway, but we're, mm-hmm. we're learning. Yeah, it's we're not learning an afterthought. But we, we were helped because um, President Biden re- released an executive order on DEINA and the expectations with federal agencies. So model the way, right? Great. And the UN did too. So <laughs> we model. <laughs> anyway, back to you, Neil. Sorry. Yeah. So, so, so I think it's, it's great to have these landmark uh, bits of legislation and the, not just legislation, but the guidance notes that have been issued as well. So there's the significant shifts in, in, many countries in Europe, UK, US, and that's really positive. Uh, I think that we still need to address what our dear friend Kate Nash calls the soft bigotry of lower expectations around disability, because we've got to help people understand that they can do this, give them the confidence that they can do this. And then employers need the confidence to know that these confident and competent individuals can do the job for them. So there's a there's a whole piece, you know, and lots of people have roles to play in this, but it is a complex system that we need to change. So when people say, oh, well, I'm working on this, um, or I'm working on that, and I, I'm always a bit nervous. I, I think it's great that what you're talking about is making systems change, because actually, we live in a complex system, and, and if we don't acknowledge that that there is this interconnectedness around these systems, then we're likely to fall flat somewhat. So, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure to to talk with you today. I need to thank my clear text for keeping us captioned, and also Amazon who are supporting us for 2023. So, thank you very much to everyone. Great, great. Amazon's a great partner. Thank you. There you go. Thank you.